Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is assassination week. Oh God, my left armpit, it hurts so much. My lung doesn't feel so good. Ronald Wilson Reagan, 666, six letters in anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm Robert Evans. This is It Could Happen Here, a podcast about assassinating world leaders. Um, that's why it's called It Could Happen Here. And today we're talking about a time where it did, uh, when John Hinckley Jr. shot Ronald Wilson Reagan. Um, with me today, uh, James Stout, Garrison Davis, um, and of course, of course, the ghost of Ronald Reagan, who was a regular contributor uh, to our to our podcast series, along with the ghost of the Queen. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And yeah, now the ghost of mm-hmm. the Queen has joined the team. Very excited. Um, so obviously, John Hinckley shot Reagan in 1981. We're going to get into a lot of detail about Mr. Hinckley's life. This is something that is joked about a lot on the internet, including by me. Um, but you know, it, it's 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 interesting because. There's there's two strains of people who will like come out and tell you it's not cool to joke about John Hinckley Jr. shooting Ronald Reagan. And one of them is right, which are the people who are like, well, actually, like, it's a pretty messed up story. And he like it's it's kind of messed up to to laugh about this family's tragedy because it was a family's tragedy. And the other people are like, no, it's fucked up because he had the hots for Jodie Foster. And what was actually going on there was a lot more complicated um, than that. So we're going to talk about all of the things that happened in this shooting, which was messed up and which I probably shouldn't joke about on Twitter because um, it's actually really bleak. Um, and in order to understand both why it's sad on a personal level and why it's a tragedy for the entire country, 
Um, yeah, I'm just going to start by talking about John Warnock Hinckley Jr., who was born on May 29th, 1955 in Ardmore, Oklahoma, which is about two and a half hours from where I grew up in Oklahoma. Unlike me, John's dad, who was John Warnock Hinckley Sr., was the chairman and president of Vanderbilt Energy. So they had lots of money, a lot of, a lot of yeah. walking around money. It, it, and, yeah. That Vanderbilt money. Yeah. And like any, most people who have good money, they don't stay in Oklahoma. Um, they have any owls? I know the Vanderbilt's big owl. Must have. Is. I'm certain yeah. they did. Add mm-hmm. owls to this story as you picture John's childhood. Yeah. Um, so they're rich as hell, and they get the fuck out of Oklahoma and move to Dallas, Texas when John was four, which is so far weirdly like my life in a lot of ways, although I was a bit older. Um, maybe that's why I didn't get the madness. So that's not why. Normally, getting kids away from Oklahoma really, really fixes stuff. But good, John good was call. taken. Yeah, John was <laughs> taken to the only place more toxic than small town Oklahoma, a wealthy neighborhood in the Dallas Fort Worth metroplex. He attended Highland Park High School, uh, the school where I would later lose several speech and debate competitions and win one or two as well. Um, it's where if you if you're in the DFW area, the rich kids who don't have go, good drugs go to Highland Park. The rich, rich kids with good drugs go to Jesuit because they're private school kids. But Highland Park is like the rich kids who are going to like try to sell you shitty ditch weed. Anyway, these are this is important Dallas Fort Worth yeah. context. And I assume yes. it was the same when he was a child. Um, as far as I've ever found any information, he was a pretty yorm, normal young man for that time and place. Uh, there's no one really seems to notice anything particularly different about him. Um, he does reasonably well in school. Uh, later in life, he's going to express some racist thoughts in his diary and in other writings prior to the shooting. It doesn't really seem to have ever been a motivating factor in his life, and to the extent that he had regressive beliefs, they seem to have been due to the fact that he grew up in a sheltered, rich, all-white environment, um, and that's not great for you. Um, <laughs> Shocked. Yeah, shocked. One <laughs> in Texas, write-up no less. in Texas, no less. Yeah. One write-up in the New Republic describes his childhood this way. Perhaps it is fear of what lies outside that makes the interior of the family so rigid and subdued, like life in a well-run bunker. The world of the Hinckleys was the rootless, middle-class, sunbelt culture that nurtures pro-family values, Christian fundamentalism, and occasional mass murderers. Families move frequently, but without compromising their parochialism. Everywhere, people are white, Christian, Republican. Joanne explains John's egregious prejudices by saying he had never been around people of other races. Somewhere outside, there are malign elements, minority groups, rock musicians, big government, and the cynical, gosmous cosmopolites who dominate the media. Mothers in this culture do not lavish attention on their children, but on their furniture. (laughs) Now, that is a coastal liberal elite, like, fucking paragraph trying to describe, like, people who grow up in this situation. As someone else who grew up in a similar area, I think most of that is pretty silly. And, And more to the point, it doesn't get to why John does this. We're getting to why John does this. It's not because he grew up sheltered and a little racist. Um, that is not why he shoots the president. Um, there is, however, a bit of that 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 does strike me as accurate as, again, a kid who grew up near here a couple of decades later, which is the description of his childhood as life in a well-run bunker, which is kind of how it feels to live in these wealthy enclaves in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I grew up in Plano, which is you know, a couple of steps down the economic rung from Highland Park, but not all that far. And um, yeah, that's that's not a bad description of it. It just doesn't generally lead to kids shooting the president. More often, it leads to them shooting up heroin and then dying of heroin overdoses, which was the big problem in Plano when I was a kid. 
That said, it's also worth noting that his parents are not, as far as I can find, like 50s stereotypes. Like his dad's not this super masculine guy who's like mentally abusive to his kid. His his mom's not like checked out. Neither of them are against the idea that their son might have a mental illness and need help for it. In fact, it seems like they're kind of more open to the idea of reaching out for professional mental health for their kid than a lot of parents would have been at the same time period. In 1976, John drops out of Texas Tech to go to Hollywood and try to make it as a musician. Again, his parents are very supportive of him. Uh, One cannot say they didn't try to help their son live his dreams. When he gave up on music and he wanted to be a writer, they paid for him to take a class at Yale. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. It it doesn't go well. Um, Because he's, yeah, anyway. But John's not being honest with his ambitions, nor is he open with his parents about his mental health. We now know that John developed schizophrenia as a young man and had a series of psychotic breaks when he would get money to do stuff like this Yale writing class. He would take it and buy guns. He did go to Yale, but it was mainly to stalk Jodie Foster, who was going to Yale at the same time. Um, Now, this is all occurring in the late 1970s and early 1980s, which is the fucking dark ages for treatment of this particular condition and a lot of other conditions. There are not a lot of good options. Among other things, I just said, He's not open with his parents about the fact that his mental health is declining. I don't know how he really could have been. I don't understand. I don't think it's likely. It's certainly not the case. This didn't happen to John, but I don't think it's very likely for a young man in this time and place to be well equipped by his education or society to express what is going on in his head to his parents. Um, And, you know, to be fair to his parents, they're not equipped with a lot of like, you know, an ability to really help him out here. And they're doing the things you would want them to do. Again, they repeatedly are bringing in professionals to try to help. Um, None of it is particularly useful, but it's not for lack of trying. Um, Like a lot of people who struggle with similar mental health issues, John seeks refuge in fiction. Unfortunately for everybody, the movie that he finds himself most drawn to is Taxi Driver. And I think most people are aware of this part of it. Oh boy. Oh boy. boy. That's a a big... It's a a bad choice. (laughs) That's a really bad choice. Yes, if he had found maybe Adventure Time or something, it would have been a lot healthier. But instead, Taxi Driver, if you haven't seen it, there's the the main character is this kid, Travis Bickle, played by a very young Robert De Niro. It is weird to watch him because we're all so used to old man Bob De Niro, um, who is thinking about assassinating like a presidential candidate and then kind of through movie magic rescues a child prostitute played by Jodie Foster from a pimp. Um, and Hinckley thinks the movie is kind of talking to him and providing him oh, with like oh, really? in- information <laughs> about how he can fix his own life. He starts uh-huh. dressing like Travis Bickle. He starts oh, wearing God. like an army jacket and boots and drinking the way that Bickle drank. He starts buying guns. He gets really into guns for, yep. you know, um, he start you know, in letters that he's writing home to his parents, he starts talking about this relationship he has with a woman named Lynn who isn't real, but who sounds a lot like one of the women that Travis Bickle has an interest with in the movie. Um, and yeah, this is kind of the start of his obsession with Jodie Foster. And there are people who will like say that he's a pedophile because she's 13 in the movie. That doesn't seem to be the case. When he is actually stalking her and most obsessed with her, she is 18 and he is stalking her in real life and calling her on the phone and stuff, which is like bad and messed up. But he's not into her because she's young in this movie. He's into her because he's he's kind of losing his mind and obsessing with her, right? So while this is all going on, kind of in the late stages of this, his parents bring in a psychiatrist. Um, again, they're they're willing to fund and support him in seeking professional help. 
the doctor they wound up getting for him, I don't know if he's a bad doctor for the time, but he's wrong as hell. He kind of looks at the fact that John has been normal, quote unquote, in high, quote unquote, in high school and like at the start of his college career. And so he looks at this kid who's like, seems to be developmentally normal up to a certain point and then goes off the rails and says, well, it's because you were sheltered and coddled by your rich parents and you're just lazy. Right. That's 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 what this guy says. So a big part of his like advice to mom and dad is you got to cut him off. You can't can't keep giving him stuff, can't keep giving him money, can't keep taking care of him. Um, So while this is happening and this guy is like making them make plans for John to be less reliant on his parents, John Hinckley is getting way more into guns. He does a lot of target shooting. He also plays a lot of Russian roulette with himself alone in his basement, which is not not great. In Christmas of 1979, he takes a very famous photo of himself holding a handgun to his temple. Now, John is increasingly harassing Jodie Foster in this period. Now, what he's doing is not, he is not just obsessing with her and it's one-sided. He is reaching her on the phone. They talk a couple of times. Um, I didn't know that. Yes, they do. Uh, She is always very terse in their calls, always, you can tell, is kind of frightened, but is very controlled and careful. I would describe the way she handles this as very responsible and, like, you can tell she's talked with, like, people, I think, like, her manager or something and been like, I have been advised, like, I don't want you calling. She's very, tries to be very clear here. Um, And I think handles this as well as a person can possibly handle, you know, being stalked in this way. I, I believe he's able to get her number because, like, it's the 80s and people just have numbers in the phone book. Yeah. Um, again, she's kind of taking a break from Hollywood right now and is going to Yale. Um, right. His obsession with Foster veers between these kind of, like, fantasies of, like, harming her or harming a guy that she's with uh, or harming himself and eventually harming the president of the United States. Now, he is not one to shoot the president for political reasons. He has no kind of particular anger at the president that he wants to work out with a gun. He wants, number one, to impress her, and he wants everyone to know his name and know his name associated with Jodie Foster, right? Because, again, he's very ill. Um, he starts following Jimmy Carter around. He goes to, like, three different Jimmy Carter rallies in D.C. and in Ohio. There's video of him 20 feet away from Carter at one point. He probably has a gun on him. Um, like he gets really close to Carter. Uh, again, one of the through lines here is that like presidential security wasn't great in 1980. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not very good. Um, yeah. uh, Car- John thinks about shooting Carter. He's probably there and equipped to do it, but he just can't get himself into the frame of mind to shoot Jimmy Carter, which is understandable That's because it is, it is Jimmy Carter, right? Like he is yeah, a hard yeah. man to want to shoot to death. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. 
because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So there's a moment where he like, yeah, so he's he's kind of bouncing around after this period where he like is he 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 thinks about shooting Carter, but he doesn't. He is in communication with this Nazi ideologue and they almost have a meeting, but they don't. Um, that's all kind of obscure, kind of unclear. And then on October 6th, 1980, he gets arrested at the Nashville airport with a briefcase full of handguns and a pair of handcuffs. Now <laughs> Whoops among us hasn't. Whoops among us has not Just been in this situation. Picked up uh, the gun bag and uh, oops. Uh, yep. It's wrong bag. He says he's just trying to sell them, and they're like, "Well, you still can't get on a plane with a bunch of guns, John Hinckley Jr." <laughs> and this is this is pre nine eleven too. Pre, yeah, this is pre nine eleven. So he, you have to assume really he's looking guy. weird. He's like yeah. sweaty and in an yeah. army jacket and talking to him, and they're like. Well, we've literally never searched a single person before in the entire life of this airport, but let's check this guy. (laughs) What's this massively heavy briefcase you're carrying? There's a fucking, there's a dude just walking in with a stinger and they're like, no, no, let that guy on. But we got to check John Hinckley. So he flies to Dallas. 
where he buys more handguns uh, and some explosive <laughs> 22 caliber bullets. We will talk about that in a little bit, but they are explosive bullets explosive for his handgun. 22 caliber bullets. Yes, yes, wow. they are bullets that are meant to explode on impact. Is, See, is um, he like reading Soldier of Fortune magazine at this point? Because this nobody seems he's like into it. gun culture. So I have yeah. we, we have to assume. I think his no. family's kind of casually conservative. He is kind of maybe, as is embodied by the Nazi thing, probably dabbling in some areas. Again, I think that's pro- that's certainly not good for him. It's also, I don't think, politics, I haven't seen any real evidence that politics is a motivating factor in what this guy is doing. Um, he does get explosive bullets. Uh, probably <laughs> helps that he has explosive bullets in terms of making this less dangerous. These are not <laughs> yeah. good explosive bullets. They are meant to be fired out of a larger weapon than he fires them out of. Uh, but they are supposed to basically the idea is this these are 22 caliber rounds so the idea is that this little explosive charge in them makes them more like a 38 so we're not talking about like military grade weaponry or anything here why is Um, he doing uh, you may not know of course but like if he's a massive gun dork why he's not a massive no gun culture is different than right he's buying a bunch of handguns he's shooting a lot i i don't know that it would be he's not particularly good or knowledgeable with yeah right okay yeah, yeah, I see. But yeah, gun culture is very, it's harder to get information about guns, right? Maybe the course, day he would yeah. have gotten a lot more into You're it. You're like just flipping through yeah. magazines. Exactly. You can't, you can't exactly. like look something up online. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. 22 yeah. good for assassination? Just Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and this is also like, this is what he can afford, right? He gets kind of a, uh, yeah, he, he's yeah. lost his better guns, right? <laughs> they have been, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're a property of the state. So he winds up with yeah, his 22 and he gets these explosive bullets to try to make it give more of a kick. Uh, obviously, the thing that's going on in the background here is that Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan are having a presidential election, which Reagan wins. Um, we'll talk a little bit about kind of that a bit later, but that happens. Reagan is the president-elect. Um, he flies home. Hinckley flies home. Things continue to deteriorate in his own life. He's continuing to like travel around. John Lennon is assassinated, and he kind of goes a little bit nuts over that because he loves John Lennon also might kind of think that he is John Lennon. So that does not okay. help his mental state. He visits the the um the 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 what is it the shrine to him in New York at one point. And kind of when he gets back in March of 1981, his dad cuts him off. Um basically like says, you know, you've got your here's your car, here's two hundred dollars. We can't take care of you anymore, John. And I think this is his dad basically trying to take that psychiatrist's advice of like it, we need to have tough love. He has to be forced to kind of get his shit together. But John Hinckley is not really capable of getting his shit together because he is profoundly ill. So he uses that money to pay for hotel rooms in Denver where he sits alone watching television with a gun. Um, Not great treatment for schizophrenia. Uh, Reagan wins the election uh, in what was a sweep electorally, but fairly tight in terms of popular vote. He's got like 50.5% of the popular vote, something like that. It's pretty close. And soon after taking office, he gets hammered on a bunch of stuff, right? The economy's not great. He's this he's he's back. He's like going for a bunch of far right policies to unwind the New Deal, a lot of which are unpopular and some of which he'd said he wasn't going to do in debates with Carter. He's not he doesn't have the kind of traditional grace period most presidents get where they're broadly popular. Right. Um, It's not looking great for kind of the midterms is what I'm getting at. Um, So Reagan's staff is struggling to right the ship, trying to figure out, like, how do we how do we fix all this? Reagan or Hinckley, while this is going on, gets convinced that like shooting the president is a pretty good idea. He doesn't have a lot of other options. He's kind of like running out of money and he's able to get a little bit more from his mom, but 
He's, he's increasingly unhinged and alone and desperate. On March 29th, he checks into a hotel in D.C. where he finds in a local paper the president's schedule. He loads his 22 caliber revolver, he writes a letter to Jodie Foster, and he travels to the Hilton, where the president is set to deliver a speech to union workers. Uh, here is how John's letter to, uh, to her ends. Quote, I will admit to you that the reason I'm going ahead with this attempt now is because I just cannot wait any longer to impress you. I've got to do something now to make you understand, in no uncertain terms, that I am doing all of this for your sake. By sacrificing my freedom and possibly my life, I hope to change your mind about me. This letter is being written only an hour before I leave for the Hilton Hotel. Jody, I'm asking you to please look into your heart and at least give me the chance with this historical deed to gain your respect and love. I love you forever. John Hinckley. It's a... Not great. Yeah, that's <laughs> wild. Yeah. yeah. Not a good um, letter to get. Yeah, not a great letter to get. Not a great letter to send. What, um, was was this actually, like, delivered in the mail? Was this uh, like... I believe so, yeah. I think this, wow. she winds up getting this. Wow. I mean, like, she has to come to court and stuff when he goes on trial. It's, like, something he kind of demands, and I think she does to just make right. it easier for things to move along. Um, obviously, she, she does nothing wrong at any point in this process. She's just living her life, and this guy is... Out of his out of out of his head and has easy access to guns, um, which is a problem. At 2:27 p.m. on March 30th, 1981, John Hinckley Jr. opens fire at the president's entourage from just a few feet away. Reagan had been speaking to a bunch of union guys at this this thing at the Hilton, anyway, and they're kind of like walking out into towards the the, the limo when this happens. John's first shot hits James Brady, the press secretary and former PR man for Phyllis Schlafly, in his head. Uh, he then wounds a police officer and a Secret Service agent. He actually does not hit, probably does not, I don't. I think there's still a little bit of debate because it's like ballistics are kind of fucky, but he probably doesn't directly hit Reagan. Instead, around fragments and bounces off the armored limousine penetrating the president's lung. None of the explosive bullets explode because they're not the right bullets for the gun. The barrel is too short. Um, so it doesn't, it might even do less damage than it would have done. Although maybe they fragment because they're these weird explosive bullets and that's why Reagan gets hurt. Anyway, hard to say. Nobody really understands ballistics all that well today. There's a lot of debate yeah. over how all this stuff works. Uh, Reagan had been in office for 69 days and no real plan existed for what to do if the president gets shot and is alive, but is unable to do the job of the president. Um, fucking uh, George H.W. Bush is in the air a bunch of this time and like people oh. can't reach him. Um, they're like, he's there saying, you need to come back to Washington now. Um, so kind of the people running the country for a few hours is Al Haig, the secretary of state and like a room full of guys in the cabinet who are all disagreeing about everything and none of whom are constitutionally supposed to be running the country. Right. Um, it's a real big problem. Like the fucking, like the, the press ask at one point, cause Hague goes out there to be like, Hey, the president's in surgery. And they're like, well, who's, who's in charge? Like with the nukes and stuff, who's running the country. And he's like, we got a whole room full of guys. Don't worry. It's all yeah. fine. And they're like, is that what the law says? Cause I don't think that's yeah. how it's supposed to go. Um, it's, it's not great. It's actually a real problem, and they do they they make a bunch of changes after this to make sure that like we never don't know who the president <laughs> is when if this kind of thing happens yeah. at least. Um, but on a political level, this is fucking gangbusters for the Reagan administration. And I'm going to quote from a write up in El Pi here. The assassination attempt silenced criticism of his administration at a critical point early in his term, explains H.W. Brands, author of the biography Reagan: The Life, in an email. 
The good humor he exhibited during his recovery, he spent only 12 days in the hospital, convinced many skeptics. Some of, some of his followers believed that God had forgiven him to allow him to finish his work, and it is possible that Reagan thought so too. On the 30th anniversary of the assassination attempt, journalist Del Winton Wilbur published Rawhide Down, a thorough investigation full of revelations of what happened that day. The book is written in the style of true crime, and its title is a reference to the Secret Service codename given to Reagan. Rawhide, Joe Biden's codename is Celtic, and Donald Trump's was Mogul. It reaches two important conclusions. Firstly, it argues that Reagan became the first president since Eisenhower to serve two terms because of the way he and his team handled the assassination attempt. And secondly, the White House did not reveal the seriousness of Reagan's injuries. He walks into the hospital and then stops breathing and collapses. Um, Like, he walks in specifically because he wants to be seen walking in. And it's like, they don't know that he's been shot at first. It's not like bleeding a bunch outside. He's bleeding internally. So it's this is like legitimately the best case scenario. It would have been hard to figure out what had happened to him. Kind of because you can't immediately tell that he's bleeding. A lot of people have been shot. And so everyone just kind of assumes he's having a heart attack, which is why they take him to the hospital. He thinks actually, I think he believes that his Secret Service agent broke his ribs getting him into the limo. Um, Uh, But if they'd taken him to the White House first, he would have fucking died. He loses half of his blood in the surgery. Like, it's that's pretty, which is like bad. If you lose half your blood, that's not like a great injury. Um, it's just it's just lung collapsing is uh, what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they, they've got him on oxygen and stuff. He's like barely able to joke with the doctors, which he does, which is one of the things that like goes viral from this and makes him yeah. so popular because he's he's yucking it up, old Ronnie. <laughs> um, his uh, yeah, this is believe. There's a number of massive long term fucking consequences to this. One of them is that this is why uh, Nancy brings in Joan Quigley, the astrologer. Like, this is when she, you could refer back to the Behind the Bastards two-parter on the Reagan astrologer, but this is why the Reagan astrologer becomes, like, they start, they stop having him do events when the astrologer says it's a bad day for it and shit, because, like, Nancy, this kind of breaks her, and it also kind of breaks Ronald. He's not the same man after getting shot, which, to be fair, he is 70 when this happens, so getting shot in the lung at 70, most people aren't going to come back all the way. This is also probably doesn't help the Alzheimer's may accelerate the timetable there. But on a political level, this goes fucking great for the Republicans and it allows them to do a lot of really fucked up shit. And I'm going to quote from CNN here. Today, Reagan is the only modern president who receives high marks from Republicans, Democrats and independents alike. A look at the polls can quantify the roots of this enduring goodwill. Despite an electoral landslide over Jimmy Carter with a 44-state win in 1980, Reagan won a narrow popular margin of 50.7%. Moreover, Gallup's valuable presidential poll tracker shows that Reagan's approval ratings were significantly split along partisan lines after his 1981 inauguration, with 74% Republican support and 53% from independents, but 38% from Democrats. When Reagan came back to the Capitol on April 28th to push for his Economic Recovery Act, he was greeted by a hero's welcome and a three-minute standing ovation. He leveraged his political capital to help publish pass his agenda. Before the end of the summer, the Reagan tax cuts had passed the House of Representatives, led by Democratic Speaker Tip O'Neill and the Republican-controlled Senate, reducing the top tax rates from a confiscatory 70% and unleashing an entrepreneurial era. That's how CNN categorizes yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that guy. That's what we got to call yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and in 1984, Reagan wins 49 states and 59% of the popular vote. It is very clear kind of how this happens and what this allows Reagan to do. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because you have in Britain, like less than a year later, or 
uh, we have Margaret Thatcher, right? Like who is similarly not doing very well yeah. until she gets to go to war for two tiny little cold islands in the Atlantic yeah. that no one knew about before. Like, and yeah. then they proceed to just ravage like the like post World War II social democracy mm-hmm. consensus. Just fuck it up. And fucking here we are now. Here we are. 2022 and people are going to die of cold in Britain this winter. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. 
Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I will say, in terms of, just to be fair, one of the things people will say is a positive from this is that this is one of the things that helps push the arms treaty deals with the Soviet Union, because Reagan is like, God saved me for a reason, and maybe it's to make <laughs> nuclear war less likely. That's a bigger topic than today. It's a thing that he will claim. And generally speaking, the fact that the Soviet Union and Reagan started talking about nukes during this period is not a bad thing. Um, Always good to be talking about nukes. Um, But yeah, what I will say, if we're looking at kind of the only clearly good thing that came out of this shooting, it's the fact that the justice system actually worked in this one instance pretty much exactly how you would want it to. Hinckley was clearly not mentally competent to understand his actions, what he had done, or to stand trial, and he was declared not guilty by reason of insanity. His father, tearful, took blame for the shooting for cutting his son off from resources. The psychiatrist who had botched his diagnosis admitted his mistakes on the stand and expressed regret. Hinckley was sent to a psychiatric facility where he received decades of treatment, and the treatment seems to have really helped him. On December 17, 2003, a federal judge ruled that Hinckley was entitled to unsupervised visits with his parents. This is five years before his dad died, so they, they get time together again. In 2007, he has a request for unsupervised visits as long as one month. This is denied, not because of any problems, but because of issues the hospital had not taken to prepare for the transition. In July of 2016, Judge Paul Friedman concluded that Hinckley did not pose a threat to himself or others and ordered him released. Um, the conditions initially limited him to his residence, residence where he lived with his mother in parts of Southern California. He was obviously forbidden from contact with past or present presidents of the United States or any of their family members or graves, uh, from banning. He was banned from contact with Jodie Foster or other entertainers. Uh, he was prohibited from watching violent movies, television, or online media. Uh, in 2018, a restriction confining him to his mother's house ended. Uh, he can now live anywhere he wants with doctor's approval. Uh, and on September 27th, 2021, John Hinckley Jr., age 66, was approved for unconditional release by District Judge Paul Friedman. Uh, Friedman noted that, quote, very few patients at St. Elizabeth's Hospital have been studied more thoroughly than John Hinckley. And again, that's pretty much how it ought to work, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, he shoots the president, but clearly because he's sick and you don't just punish sick people when they don't know what they've done. So he gets treated for decades until oh, he's better, and now he's able he to live a life. Penalty. Yes, yeah. it's really good. Quite, quite surprising. It is very surprising, and part of why it's surprising is that one of the other negative lingering effects of John Hinckley attempting to shoot the president is that a lot of changes are made in many states to make it much less likely that people benefit from the same understanding <sighs> judicial system that John Hinckley Jr. does. Uh, okay, I'm going to quote yes. now from a write-up from FamousTrials.com, which has a pretty good pretty good bit on just kind of everything that happened here. It's a fair, pretty fair summary, I think. Within a month of the Hinckley verdict, the House and Senate were holding hearings on the insanity defense. A measure proposed by Senator Arlen Specter shifted the burden of proof of insanity to the defense. President Reagan expressed his support for the measure with the comment, if you start thinking about even a lot of your friends, you would have to say, gee, if I had to prove they were sane, I would have a hard job. 
maybe <laughs> maybe, Ronnie. That, maybe yeah. that tells us more about you than what you Maybe that think. says God. a lot about your administration, who are, yeah. by the way, at this point, deep in like Iran-Contra shit, selling yeah. cocaine. Yep. And, and anyway, we, we're talking about all of this on an upcoming episode of Bastards. But like, yeah, they're all monsters. Uh, joining cons- Congress and shifting the burden of proof were a number of states. Within three years after the Hinckley verdict, two-thirds of the states placed the burden on the defense to prove insanity, while eight states adopted a separate verdict of guilty but mentally ill, and one state, Utah, abolished the defense altogether. Good um, Utah. Yeah. Always delivering. So <laughs> the system works really well for John Hinckley Jr., yeah. Um, and then I, I, I think ethically, and so I think they like, change it. I think the Justice Department of the United States. This is maybe one of, probably in history, you will not find many cases of a guy shooting an active world leader and being treated ethically by the justice system. Like he's handled very reasonably, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, never again, never again will that happen for anybody, even if they don't shoot the president. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Obviously, I wish John Hinckley Jr. well. I I hope his musical career goes fine. Um, (laughs) I fuck Ronald Reagan. Um, Hate him. And uh, yeah, uh, it's probably made the world a lot worse that John Hinckley Jr. tried to shoot Ronald Reagan because it empowered Ronald Reagan. One of the lessons here, if we're talking about assassinations, is that um, it's a real wild card. Trying to assassinate a president (laughs) or any other politician. And as a general rule, people are kind of programmed to think that somebody's cool if they get shot and don't die. Like, it's one of the cooler (laughs) things that, like, look, it just objectively, it's, what do you do if you want to show John McClane as hard as hell? You can get, like, hit in the arm or something and just, like, work through it, right? Like, what do people people talk about like Teddy Roosevelt when he was shot and how bad it was that he gave a badass it was that he gave a speech or how cool it is that fucking Andrew but Jackson you know got shot a who bunch. they don't say any of these things about is JFK. That's right. They don't because they don't dying is not yeah, yeah. cool. Because dying's not cool. Yeah, yeah, not cool at all. <laughs> over the roof of a church. Yeah. <laughs> Lame as yeah. hell. Yeah. Um, so don't, don't do but like, that. you know, this is the look, if if you want John F. Kennedy to stop being the president and you can successfully kill him, you will get what you want. He's no longer the president. Um, If you were to have a political motivation, and again, Hinckley doesn't. Hinckley is not thinking about (laughs) the top marginal tax rate when he does this. (laughs) Um, But if if that had been his goal, this is the opposite of that, right? Because it just makes Reagan look cool and helps him, makes everybody feel like an asshole for fighting him for a while. So like he gets a bunch of shit through and also... A bunch of laws get worse for mentally ill people, and uh, in on the whole, bad, bad, bad assassination. Yeah. Yeah. Bad assass- z- <laughs> zero, zero out of ten. Yeah, I have to yeah. say, based on pre- based on the evidence we have here, shooting Ronald Reagan, not a good idea. They didn't yeah. do it. No. Mm-hmm. They let the whole team down. And we should just plug his album. It's out on Asbestos We records. should plug his album. Because again, he's not responsible for this. <laughs> yeah, you know, like he's, if he's happy singing songs, I'm happy for him. Yes, yes. So, I, yeah. I wish you the best of luck, John. You can buy mm-hmm. his t-shirts. He's got t-shirts that he's trying to move, which yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's bad to encourage his music career. Like, seriously, like we're all doing it with a little bit of a smile. But what's the harm if John yeah. Hinckley Jr. thinks that people like his music? That doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah, and look, yeah. maybe if people can see that, like, if you treat people with mental illnesses, like yes. people who are ill, not fucking uh, terrible mm-hmm. people, then they can get to a place where they can sing songs on YouTube, and that's yeah, nice. Yeah, that's good. That's an example, again, 
of the only time it worked the way it's it should. But it did yeah. work out pretty well in this case. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. Yeah. Take Sad. whatever lessons you want to out of this. Yeah. <laughs> many many possible things can be learned. A lot of <laughs> lot of no, lot of different lessons we can take yeah. out of this. Much don't hire much Al Haig, but I feel like that's that's a generally good lesson. Yeah, um, uh, there's a Phoenix Punch band called Jodie Foster's Army. I've just read as well, who make songs sure. about him. Which great yeah, by their records too. Fine, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no strong opinions on that either way. Anyone else got anything to say about John Hinckley Jr. or the assassination attempt on Ronnie Rawhide Reagan? Also, we're talking about the IRA a lot this week. Probably not for nothing that Joe Biden's code name is Celtic. Hmm. <laughs> and the queen mm. dies now? Makes you think, You're telling it? me it's a coincidence? Uh, I still suspect Liz Trust, personally. Mm. I, I think that maybe Joe Biden shook hands with Liz Trust and like, mm-hmm. like transferred uh, a, nerve, a nerve poison onto her hand and then she touched the queen. Definitely possible. She wanted Sweet to be number Joe one. Joe sipping a Guinness on the plane back, knowing that he's done his job. <laughs> In his balaclava, inexplicably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Air Force One. Anyway, <laughs> hopefully nobody who has stuff going on listens to that and takes the wrong message out of it. <laughs> yeah, no. Be kind to one another. Uh, anyway, we're done. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! 
Christine, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.